Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. If you're a typical clinician in typical legacy healthcare, you're a cog in the machine, in the meat grinder. You're not brains, you're not heart. They want a reimbursement output with little or no noise. Just perform. Here's your RVU treat. Endless OPEX savings cut you a thousand ways and they want you sharper at upcoding and that's about it. They just want more output. If you're a consumer, you're mostly a head in a bed to a hospital, a belly button to a benefit broker. That's what they call you, your belly button. You're a thing, a body part to be specific. You're meat for the factory grinder. And if you're an employer in legacy healthcare, expect another inevitable bump in rates, a jump in deductibles, more pressure on your backbone of your workforce. The hourly folks that, even though the resignation should be a wake-up call for most all of us, well, their cost of healthcare is completely unaffordable for 80% of workers making under 20 an hour. In fact, the study came out today, Dutch and I are going to talk about our guests today. That benefit, air quotes, is now a noose around their necks. It's not even a usable benefit. Today's guest has one of my favorite quotes since we've been doing this show. And he said, if you had a $4,500 deductible and $500 in the bank, is it even insurance anymore? And employers, you're about to find out how many millions and up to 20 hidden fees your advisors have not disclosed for decades now because of the Consolidated Appropriations Act. It's going to out their misbehavior. That's not the right word for it. Let's go ahead and call it a giant pickpocketing scam for decades. If self-insured, you see life very differently from these other folks because you see the shell games, the middles have been playing with your money. You see the three-card Monty and the magic tricks and hidden fees and upcharges. You're looking for overbills and billing errors and a scavenger hunt that drops all that serious money down to your bottom line. Because you have to, you're self-insured. In the pharma, the pharma spend, wow, it's just a gigantic low-hanging fruit for treasure hunting to the bottom line. We call these found dollars in meds, surgery, the buried treasure in your balance sheet. And guests like today's is literally a national expert on this subject and a thought leader. So if you're fed up doctor and nurse, opt out. Just opt out, get it out of the hot water. If you have a giant deductible and you're in the factory medicine machine as a consumer, opt out of your company plan. Nothing forces you in there. There's terrific solutions outside. And if you're wanting to know what the solution is, the solution is on this show every week. It's direct contracting. That is the answer. 30 million consumers just on this show alone have opted out. Of 112 million people that are covered by employers, 30 million is not a small number. So this is not some experiment. Most have not yet opted out, though, if you took a look at the math, but it does grow daily and it seems to never retreat. Why would it? 20 to 30,000 PCPs to support those 30 million have to have opted out too. I go, again, that headcount might be a little harder to figure. 
And 1,700 independent imaging centers will take cash. Now that's shrinking because the bigs, who are mostly monopolies in most of the metros, 93%, hate competition. So they buy up these independent imaging centers with the free federal pandemic money that they never needed. Rurals accepted. Okay, 60 free market surgery centers have opted out with all in bundled transparent prices. And all labs take cash and all specialists take cash. Well, MD Anderson doesn't here in Texas, but most specialists will take cash. And independent pharmacies offer most generics as low as one to three cents per pill with a monthly subscription fee lower than the Spotify you pay. Manage exactly what PBM benefit, what pharmacy benefit at pennies a pill. Do you even need a PBM? No, boot them out the door by sidestepping them. They have these immoral rebate and spread pricing games that we don't need to play ball that way. So at the top of the show, you're hearing about the gaming and crooked dice and all of that. That's what I'm talking about, okay? TPAs is a, another part of this puzzle. They navigate you to these least networks, centers of excellence, or they'll create a brand new network for you. It's a new generation of administrators that go hard to work to build what's called a narrow network, but it's really not narrow. It's everybody takes cash. So it's a pretty wide network. And claims adjudicators hunt down upcharges, fraud and errors, like cute little kids at an Easter egg picnic. Every dollar they find, it's a dollar that drops to your bottom line. And DPC, direct primary care, is all grown up now. It's not a little kid Kool-Aid stand, mom and pop local. It's scaling nationwide. We've had the CEOs and the chief medical officers on this show. 30 million members. Am I saying that loud enough? And free market surgery centers, we've had three of them too, and we're going to have the rest over time. So the water is safe, you guys. Opt out. All right. Cannot wait to talk today to Dutch Rojas. He's a brother in arms. He's a spirit animal of mine. In that, we both care about the macro and massive shift towards this cash pay healthcare economy and away from the unlimited list of gaming, short and long cons, carve outs, special tricks to games the bigs play. And we dig into the micro as well when it's needed, meaning what do I do next? What should I do next in this new ecosystem so that I can improve my life, my family's life, and take care of them, shielding them from all the games? And here is the rare thing. We are two guys that will talk about it freely when most don't dare to tread because I don't want to upset a future customer. Dutch is back for round two, two years later. Dutch is the founding and managing partner of Sano Surgery. You can learn all about that on episode 49, and we'll talk about it a little today. It's a direct contracting firm, directs you to the right surgery that doesn't cost more, costs dramatically less, and lower infection rates, lower complication rates, on and on like that. Everyone Health, he's a new founder and managing partner of that as well, which is a Tulsa-based direct healthcare company serving the self-funded and the self-insured employers in that region. And he's a founder also of a new startup called Shop Healthcare. Can't wait to hear about direct-to-patient e-commerce platform. Welcome, Dutch, to the show. Hey, look, I got to tell you, I tell people that want to know more, I'm like, well, just listen to Ron's show. Because <laughs> people ask me, they're like, well, tell me about, you. I mean, you just listed over the last three minutes, like all these great things that it would take some people a lifetime to understand, Yeah. right? Because they're not, like they are simple in concept, but they are extremely complicated in execution, right? And to know the nuance of them, I don't know how many years I've been doing this, 97. Uh, it takes, you know, 15, 18 years to learn. 
-hmm. um, especially learning the ramifications of doing it wrong and doing it right and what that looks like. You have a full breadth of understanding. Mm -hmm. And every time I listen to your show, which I became a fan after you had me on, I had no idea that you interviewed such great people. And I think you get a chance to interview the thought leaders who tell you over and over again, yes, this is the right path. So I'm like, I'm like, well, we could just do like 90 more podcasts just on what you talked about in the first 10 minutes. Like, it'd be great. Well, thank you, Dutch. That we just found our quote that we're going to promote this show with. We can just stop right, right now and have a nice day and enjoy the rest of your yeah, spring. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Dealer's choice. You're the dealer today. You get to deal the cards. Do you want to talk macro or micro first? I think macro is good. Okay. I, I like to start from the large perspective. I always like to get your perspective on not just the economy because we we're heading into, well, we're heading out of 7.5% inflation last month. And that didn't include an energy spike from a Ukraine war. So we're going to have mm. a higher inflation almost for sure this month, almost for sure. The Federal Reserve seems to be loosening, not loosening money, which they've been doing for decades, but they're going into a tighter money, which is going to be tight maybe for decades. And rates seem to be spiking like Jimmy Carter era stagflation. What is all this economic headwind and maybe no wind or no oxygen mean for the self-insured employers and the advisors out there? I think the really good news for the people in our ecosystem is that they're really going to get a chance to showcase what they can do. Um, we spent this week uh, between Salt Lake and San Francisco talking to some uh, what I would call jumbo accounts. I try to separate small, right, small business, the mid markets, and then jumbos. Jumbos is categorically anybody with 80,000 employees or more. Um, we spent time with the jumbos this week and they're seeing big headwinds, right? And so from a macro perspective, uh, I talked about this earlier this week, you're seeing reversion to the mean as far as valuations are concerned, you're gonna see bond yields, right, go up, which is not good for health systems, right? They don't wanna pay out higher rates. Um, we're going to see, as everyone knows, healthcare always outpaces inflation. So if you're not doing something to shore up your balance sheet, as you said earlier in the commentary, that's gonna be a real problem. We are finding ourselves advising more sophisticated customers. When we started, it was like, you know, hey, this wonderful, my uncle has a business in Dallas. And I'm not saying Dallas is unsophisticated because it's not, it's a hyper sophisticated. Um, but I'm using the example to say, hey, there was just a guy with a small business. He has 45 employees and this is what's going on. And now we're advising companies that have obviously over 80,000 employees. And what you're seeing is you're seeing the CFOs and CHROs really say, okay, how do we make employees happy with a great resignation, which you mentioned? And then how do we actually become more efficient? How do we cut unnecessary expenses? How do we determine appropriateness of care, quality of care, and what's the right price? And so you're seeing that because now, as you know, in the bad times, from a, from a business perspective, this is when you want to take your cash and buy things. Uh, when all around you, it's going terribly, this is the time where real businesses thrive. And so we've been asked to help people shore up their balance sheet. And when you do that, you have to understand the economics of the healthcare dollar. Where can we get our most advantageous spend for the least amount of money? And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing uh, multiple compressions on startups, which I really like. 
Um, I'm not a fan of uh, venture capital and these like back of the napkin deals that I've been seeing for the last four or five years. You've seen leaders like Jay Parkinson, who used to work for Crossover, but he started uh, Sherpa, which is the original virtual primary care platform in 2007. You're seeing those guys and they're like hooraying, you know, a bad economy. And, and, and I agree with them. The, the economy brought about all these players that were junk, that didn't understand the patient process, didn't understand how to do work on behalf of patients. They knew how to generate KPIs using fake inflationary dollars. And so I'm glad. I feel like we're going to get back to normal business. We're seeing normal returns, right? So instead of uh, an eight multiple on revenue, we're seeing three to five. Your implication behind everything you're saying, Dutch, there's two implications. One is you're saying that the bigs, the jumbo, sorry, are people that are now going to start focusing on their benefits spend because it's the second biggest spend after HR, right? Yes. And they're kicking out their kit. Look, look, you know, I don't want to say their names, but you know, the large consulting companies, the publicly traded ones, they're, they're being removed. We, yeah. we had them not, they were not invited to the meetings we had this week. Yeah. Um, of course, we always ask for that because they tend to get in the way. We had a we had a consultant last week from one of the big houses tell us that it's an ERISA violation to do a direct agreement hmm. with an employer. And so I just told the CFO, I said, it's this kind of tomfoolery that's been hurting you. Can you please get rid of this person? Yeah. And he was like, hey, Tom, can you leave the room? Right. Because we're talking about bill. We're not talking about we're not even talking about millions, which is an incredible amount of money. We're talking about billions of dollars. Yes. And it's like, stop letting these people, the hundred that you've hired here, I know that's what you're supposed to do, best practice, get, get them out of the room. They don't know what they're doing. And right now, you're seeing wartime CEOs pop up. And the time of the carefree, I buy a Rolex every other day CEO is out the window. Like, we don't care about those people. We never liked them. I never wanted them anywhere near a real business. And so let's get rid of them. Tell, tell me what you think the implications are. Well, Let's talk about startups. The startups, it seems, and digital health, digital health has gone freaking crazy. Femtech, you could fill in the blank, but digital health and healthcare has just taken a lot of the oxygen out of the room for the growth in venture capital and private equity funding. Digital health is slathering wallpaper on a rotted house. You know, there's no foundation that works. The roof is leaking. There's mold in the house, and they're just putting wallpaper and painting over it. Digital care is not solving anything other than trying to make a few people, you know, rush to an exit. That's it. Look, I don't want to get woke on you, but if you look at the demographics, there's this podcast called the All In Podcast. Uh, covers primarily venture capital. It's run by four venture capitalists. They did a show on demographics of who's a specifically in healthcare venture. It is Ivy League run, right? People with ties to the financial services industry. They have no experience. They're 25 to 27 years old. And you're telling me that those people, albeit they're very smart intellectually, right? They have no experience. They have no idea. I mean, like we make our employees that work at Everyone Health and, and Sano and Shop Healthcare, we make them go work as MAs. And I don't mean from a clinical perspective, but like they have to run the desk. So you have to be a referral coordinator for two weeks. You have to do check-in for two weeks. Like, I want you to do it at a surgical specialty shop, and then I want you to go to an ASC. And people say, why do you make these, why do you pay for people to do this for a month? 
And I'm like, if you have no idea what a patient's going through, then how are you going to help them? How are you going to understand the flow of what all this looks like if you don't know what you're doing? That's smart. And I think that one of the biggest missing components to all of these people, and, and I've shouted with venture capitalists about this because there are some venture folks I like, uh, like, hey, why don't you train them right? Why don't you make them go through a six-month kind of you know intensive training program? So they begin to understand, and they're like, well, if we do that, then we miss out on six weeks of potential return. And we don't have the time and we don't have the money and we don't have that. And I'm just like, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I don't really understand that model. What I do know is it's not about patients. It's not about reducing expenses for employers or, or consumers. It's just about money. You know, it's interesting. We have an incubator in Houston. It's called Medical City USA. And we have an incubator there. And they pick 12 or 18 young people that uh, some of them are more mature that, that have these really cool ideas and then they say, we're going to give you access to our Rolodex in the hospitals of Houston so that you can start trying it out and seeing how it works. And that's a good promise, but it's actually kind of rare that the hospital even gives them a meeting because most of these folks don't have a solution. They have an app. So, right. uh, you know what I mean? They're not really real, but yeah. well, you're dead on. Okay. I want to talk to you about another macro question here. The interest rates, let's go back to what you said earlier. If interest rates do spike up and the federal government isn't paying 12 or 13 or 15% of the slice of the pie, but they're paying maybe 25% of the slice of the pie to service this massive multi-trillion dollar debt we have, how in the world are we going to afford a $100 billion a month agency called HHS, Medicare, Medicaid, which Medicare is going to be broke, by the way, in 2022, we've heard for decades. Now, suddenly it's 2024 magically, but... Yeah, how are they going to pay for the federal largesse that's, uh, that's called healthcare? I mean, how do you even do it? You know, if you think about the time during Paul Volcker, when I was really young, uh, he he was able to raise rates because the debt wasn't high enough, right? In other words, the debt to GDP ratio wasn't close to what it is today, and so it would it caused pain then. But if we tried to do that today, it would be undoable. In other words, like the federal government would go bankrupt, and so it can't work. Then we'd have really rampant hyperinflation. Um, I don't actually know what they're going to do. I, I know I'm seeing reports like we're going to do six rate increases, you know, at 25 bips a piece. I think the market's probably already factored that in. Uh, I think you'll... I think the big losers here are Silicon Valley, which they needed to lose, and then um, the health systems. And okay. I think this is really, you know, all the solutions you talk about, this is really where the grit is going to come in. Because yeah. if you can make it in the next three years, you're going to come out the other side like rock. I mean, you're just going to be fit as a fiddle, ready to roll. And it's going to be amazing what you're able to do. But anybody who thinks this is like it was already hard the last 10 years, you wait till the next three because they're going to take you for a real ride. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is a guessing game now. Guess out of all the nations on earth, who has a federal budget bigger than HHS out of 223 nations that are covered on this question? The big ones that we could probably quickly name, the Chinas, the Germanys, the, the Frances, the Great Britain. Okay. But very few countries on earth have a budget as big as just health and human services. Mm -hmm. You could run 20 Taiwans 
on four months of the health, health and human service budget. I mean, well, and to really, like we have to be realistic, right? HHS isn't really in the business of helping anybody. HHS is in the business of expanding government. Hmm. Like, and I know people go, well, you're just a right-wing crazy nut job. Uh, and that's true on some days. Um, but the fact of the matter is once government got to a certain size, then it just wanted to be bigger. I mean, like you read about, hey, we had a problem with HHS with um, a HIPAA claim, right? And you can't even fight these things anymore. You can't, there's nothing you can do. They're just gonna ramrod you and shut you down. Okay, so let's talk about the bigger question though here is that half of all births last year for the first time ever were Medicaid births. So federally paid for births, okay? And they're not paying the wholesale rate. Medicaid is not a super low rate. It's not the lowest cash pay rate, but it is a fair rate. How do you take benefits back from people once they've been used to a handout? You can't take it back. It's a revolution. I mean, you, you can't shrink HHS. Instead, what you do is you just tax the employers more on their like computer, right? I mean, what else are you going to do? If you, if you have the view I have, and you know, I'm 45, so I'm kind of in the middle. Um, you have the view that I'm going to win, right? Our strategy, everything you've discussed is going to win. Transparency wins, competition wins. And we're going to have higher quality outcomes at lower prices. I think you'd be surprised how much lower those prices are than even what Medicare spends or Medicaid. I think we're going to learn how to get really efficient. Uh, there's doctors that like to say it's a race to the bottom. And I refute that with every possible um, reason. And I think that even if People say, well, you know what, single payer is better, or how do you take away Medicare and Medicaid? I think that Medicare and Medicaid are going to come to private companies like ours, although there'll be a whole bunch by then. And I think that we'll take on that job and that work. Well, they tried it. That's exactly what Medicare Advantage is. Medicare Advantage is basically a commercialization of their problem, and it's not resulting yeah. in a dime of savings. It's costing them more because it looks like virtually every big insurer is upcoding sure. and they're getting fined sure. the caca out of themselves, but they're, they're upcoding and playing games. At least they, tr at least they tried. Yeah. I mean, I think they tried it to fail, but you know, that's a whole other story. Okay. Value-based care is another thing that I want to ask you about. It's the rage, you know, fee for services, dead value mm -hmm. over volume. I love the idea of value-based care, but in execution, if you had, and I've seen this with my own eyes, if you have the four leading CMS directors that are in charge of value-based care experiments, and there's dozens of them, and you say, what kind of savings is VBC producing over fee-for-service, you know what you get? Crickets. They don't know what the hell, they can't answer that because the all the analysis shows that it's a dead even heat. Yeah, I think, look, uh, Michael Porter, probably one of the smartest, you know, individuals to ever grace the, the management services business. Uh, his book came out 15 years ago, Redefining Healthcare, right? It's a seminal read for anybody who's interested in, in healthcare. He talks about value-based. And I think his definition of value-based and you and I's definition of value-based is one. And the health systems are have a totally different outlook on what they think value-based contracts are written as. Hmm. I think the, the, the bigs, as you like to say, have hijacked our words to mean something that doesn't mean at all. Um, yeah. I look at value-based care and I go, okay, well, that's a bundle, right? And how do we do that differently? And so that's a, that's a totally different, it, it's a, 
it's just a hijacking of, of the words we've tried to use to help consumers and employers get set free. I've had one of the brothers, Chin, as a guest, and I asked them how they're different. And they said, we're not only different, we're sort of alone in the healthcare sphere because we're full risk. And he goes, most value-based, 85, 95, maybe as much as 99% of value-based doesn't go full risk because they don't want to take the scary downside that they may not make anything. They would rather go partial risk. And so I mm -hmm. have a ton of value-based care guests on this show too. One that is now mm -hmm. partnering with Walgreens and, you know, Clive Fields and I went to school together. We're friends. But when I asked him that same question, tell me what kind of value-based care savings is over fee for service? He says, oh, it's well-documented and I, I, I can't find any documents. No, there, there's nothing. I mean, look, Walmart, I think, did the grandest experiment of it all, right, with COEs and value-based care, and they found nothing. I mean, if you can't find yeah. something on 2.3 million lives, right, then what do you, then what well, do you no, got? They did, Dutch. In 2019, they touted a billion dollars in savings from just COEs. So, oh, did they? I, yeah, which is ironic because that's Mayo, that's Cleveland Clinic, that's four or five institutes that you know well, and I know, ever the world knows well. But, and it wasn't just that, it was a few other things, but they, two years later, last year announced 250 million is going to go to pay for college for any of their employees in America that will, that qualify, which that's the billion dollar savings. They've got this, mm -hmm. you know, an unsticky employee. They want to make them sticky. So they're going to say, well, we're, we're going to throw more at you that you can't say no to. So we don't want a great resignation. We can't keep our stores open without it. That's it. It's look, I mean, that's what you look, if, if you can incentivize any employer, right, and you say, look, every time you reduce expenses by a dollar, right, and it goes to your bottom line, what else can you do with it, right? You can talk about CapEx. Mm -hmm. You can talk about increasing um, salaries and benefits. But what you just mentioned is a huge highlight, right? Like, how do you make it sticky so that employees want to stay with you? How do you do that? Mm -hmm. And I think this is part of that solution. Absolutely. My most downloaded show is a company you know. They were the first major customer to work with Redirect Health, our good friend Dave Berg. And mm -hmm. Paul Johnson Drywall has saved enough to bring their workers' comp down almost 100 points. So they were like in the high 50s, 150. Now they're down to close to 50. They took that savings from workers' comp, that savings from their healthcare spend by going with Redirect. They now offer so many benefits to their employees that it's too long to list here that they'll never lose it in a trade that loses employees with massive turnover. They don't have that problem. You, you know what I love about redirect. And um, as we were talking to the jumbos this week, I'll, I'll tie both Dave Burke, who's like an absolute fantastic friend, right. Of, of both of ours. Um, what I love about that is the question of engagement gets answered. When people ask me what I, what the number one challenge is, with direct contracting, with on-site clinics, with virtual primary care, DPC, all these wonderful solutions we have, right? Uh, it's engagement. And Dave Berg has answered the question of engagement. I mean, the, you, you and I can have all the tools we need to create a house, but if we don't have the workers to do it, we can't do it. And the engagement piece is crucial and he's really done, Redirect has done a great job engaging employers and getting those employees to use the benefits that they offer. See, without that component, um, there is no reduction in expenses. There is no, hey, let's buy something else or let's make our benefits sticky. You really need that secret sauce that, that Redirect Health has.
you know how I can tell before I bring a guest on whether they're going to do well with engagement is because you're right. That is the number one thing that keeps direct contractors up at night is how do I get just instead of 10%, 20 or 30 or 40, because you can go to the lunchroom year one and get 10 or 20 or 30, but how do you get 40, 50, 60, 70% to go away from the HMO option, away from the PTO option. And it's by talking to their buddy at the dock. And he says, Oh yeah, we've been with this company and we're doing no premium, no copay. Ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't say no, just do it. You stupid idiot. You know, what are you still paying that old thing for? Yeah. I think our, when you look at our, I mean, the Pareto principle is always true. And so when you look at the top 20% of our customers that are getting 80% of the benefit, that's what you see. You see an engaged CFO um, and, you know, redirect services, a wonderful population. We're more mid-markets jumbos. Mm -hmm. And so the scalability issue or challenge is there. But when you start, forget all the tools that you and I know about. When you get a when you get an HR manager or an HR uh, vice president, and then you get the broker, and they show up at the union meetings every month for the municipal educational meetings, and then you get people to show up at events, right, that affect people's lives, baptisms, um, births of children, like all those things. All of a sudden, it changes, mm. and we see it with the regional consulting houses. We see that when some of those, the leaders in those houses start going, well, listen, I've been, I've been invested in this community in Indianapolis for 45 years. And before that, my parents were invested in this community. Everybody knows who we are in the Quad Cities, right? It's the same story. It's the same story in the Bay Area. It's the same story like around the country where we see our successful clients. Mm -hmm. It's because people are engaged from an operational standpoint but they're also highly engaged in the employees' lives, right? Like they know their kids, they know who they are. And they go, I go, how do you, how do you keep track of 400 people? He's like, look, I dedicated my life to this company. I'm the CEO and I'm the founder. And I love every single employee I have. And so when you get to that level, that's how you create this kind of change that you and I are talking about. And I that engagement yeah. thing is what we've been working on for the last five years. I mean, there's nothing more important to me than that. For the first 10 years, it was, it was, how do I get more direct contracts and bundle prices? And the last five years has been like, okay, well, we have zero engagement on some clients. We have 3% on some, but how did this guy get 87% engagement? Where did that come from? And then you start looking and you're like, oh, well, that's it. That's what it is. They're completely involved and the employees are completely bought in. They're not ashamed. They're like, hey, no copay, no deductible on this deal. But if you use UMR or if you use Cigna or Aetna, right, you have your normal $5,800 deductible. And I don't know of any employee that makes the average salary, especially in the Midwest, that can afford that. Yeah. So they all use the thing that their boss says, hey, why don't you just give this a try? Can not force you, but why don't you give it a go? And it's wonderful to see. I used to think my most important job when I was a CEO, I'm, I'm, I'm not running my company anymore, but when I did run it, my most important job was to go around to the clinics and of course say hello to the doctors that were engaging me, but also to talk to my allergy techs and ask them, you know, what did you think about our mission and values? What do you think about, you know, here's some success stories. I want you to know how great this company is. When I was pushing at them, we did okay with retention. We did okay with attraction. But when I started asking them, are you using that number to call redirect health? 
to take care of your mm-hmm. kids' pain kind instead of going to a Medicaid clinic for half a day and taking a, you know, maybe a full day off of work because now it's only two o'clock and it's too late to come anyway. They were so engaged. I, I said, mm-hmm. I want you in front of me. I want to see you make that call so they can get your history. I'll leave the room, but they need to know your history because that's the way you get started with these guys. And when your husband snores too loud at night, you call these guys first. That's your first stop. You've got to figure out what's going on there because it could be a very serious thing. So when I started asking them about their health and checking in on them, on their lives, we, we didn't lose anybody except when they had to move to another state. And we didn't have any trouble attracting people offering free health care. No premium, no copay. No, no. And, and that's the beautiful thing, right? Like uh, the CEOs generally or the CFOs ask us, well, do onsite nearsite clinic work? Does virtual primary care work? Does, you know, name the solution work? And I'm like, well, it works if you have a good engagement plan. Yeah. Yeah. Good I'm answer. like, it's, it works. It works really well if you, Mr. CFO or the director of HR, write an email every week and say, hey, you know, those of you that deal with diabetes or chronic issues, you know that you can get free imaging and you can get free care. Oh, and we have dialysis and you, you don't have to pay out of pocket anymore for that. We've, we've got a direct contract now. That's what, you know, that's what people are doing. And when you see that, that changes everything. So I know that most of the audience is always like you and I are on LinkedIn a lot. Most of the audience is always focused on solutions, solutions, solutions. They call us Dutch, you can save us. And I'm like, we can help you, but you must help yourself, right? You, 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 you have to get an engagement plan and we'll show you like which ones work, right? with white papers and, and, and use cases, but you have to do that first. Forget RBP, forget onsite, clinic, forget all that because it does not, none of those tools work without engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, Marilyn, I forget her last name, but Marilyn in Montana, who's no longer with the state, her- three Oh, parts, I remember her. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. I mean, she, she completely yeah. got states to rethink how they buy healthcare. And one of her three most important tools is restaurant-based pricing, which is kind of an antique, but it works. You can sit in that chair and it won't break. But reference-based pricing isn't nearly as good as direct contracting straight up, where you set up your own network, basically. Yeah, I mean, here she saved $120 million for the state when they were losing tens of millions before that. New Jersey, state of New Jersey, Chris Deacon was on the show. She saved a billion five just with the pharma and just they did they had a reverse auction for pharma pretty smart right now both of those ladies you just mentioned are really smart like yeah and they're intelligent great people yes yeah and and chris i'm I'm not saying she lost her job but she left her job because you can't get political support when you're upsetting the hospitals and pharma in your state and their major employers i talked to a lady from another state that has the same size as new jersey i can't tell you who she couldn't get hers through because the hospitals had such a good lobby and such a good media campaign that the governor and the lieutenant governor wouldn't support her drive towards the New Jersey and Montana model. So, see, I think, look, I think that's all kind of, you know, we, we, we looked at the mafia in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, right? And slowly corporatization drove them out of business, right? Mm-hmm. Some people say the FBI drove them out. I, I would refute that for a hundred reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, the, the corporatization of casinos, mm-hmm. right? Because we can't have inefficiency when banks put money in. Mm-hmm. We can't, right? We have KPIs to meet and we have returns to pay. And I think um, 
over the next three years, we're going to see that with hospitals. I, I, I think hospitals know it. They figured it out. The CFOs are, they're smart people and they see the writing on the wall. And I, I don't, I don't think we're going to have to fight this anymore. And I had this conversation with Chris not long ago. I think the Atlantic, you know, health systems and the horizons are in big trouble. Like they will capitulate all on their own because the independent docs in New Jersey and the independent ASCs and the smaller, like remember Clayton Christensen's disruptive innovation, the smaller guys are taking over all the small stuff and slowly they're whittling their way up market. And if you're somebody like Atlantic Health System and you own New Jersey, but you don't own the small stuff anymore because you're giving it away because you can't compete. Now it changes everything. And I think over the next two or three years, we're going to see real disruptive innovation come to the markets. There's a big insurer in Kentucky and Southern Illinois that I can't name that is in a death spiral, uh, meaning there are more old sick people in the plan than young healthies who have fled the big. Sure. And a death spiral in Australia, if you look it up, the Australian private insurers, they're now begging the federal government for a relief package to bail them out of the mess they got themselves in. Because the same, mm-hmm. ha- same happened there as it's happening here. The pricing, per- the premium is so high that basically pay- everybody is functionally uninsured. And so they bailed and they set up these private solutions like you and I are talking about, like Redirect Health. Mm-hmm. That leaves you in a debt. Now, the insurance companies in America have done something different. They've become so diversified that they own all the GPOs, all the PBMs. But you say something interesting in your post, Dutch. You say that 75% of healthcare is dead in America or is basically a dinosaur. Explain that a little bit. Um, Look, I think people are going to move to micro hospitals. I think um, plans are going to be so unaffordable. Uh, Look, inflation always healthcare spend always outpaces inflation. And so I don't believe the government's numbers on inflation, right? You mentioned seven and a half, 11, right? It's, it's some sinister number that we're not able to figure out yet, but we will, right? Years we'll be able to do a good look back. Uh, and I think the rates for fully insured companies and even self-funded companies in order to raise premiums are going to be super high. I think it's going to be very normal to see 20 and 30% rate increases for uh, 2023, and that's gonna cause capitulation because people are gonna start fighting back. And so when I say they're dead, I mean, people are gonna move away from hospitals. They're gonna say, you know, we've been listening to this group of a thousand people for five years tell us that we don't have to pay those rates and that there is no correlation between prices and outcomes and that I can get quality care from an independent doctor. And for the last 25 years, we've been told that's not true. And so I, th- I think the world is just going to turn around. Look, we're seeing more medical tourism than I've ever seen. And I've been in this business for a very long time. I mean, I started in 2000 or 1997. Yeah. So I'm seeing more of it now. I'm seeing more plans. New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island say to their employees, hey, if you have an issue, Did you know that there are 640 different ASCs and 19 surgical hospitals that you can go to that are not in our state? And you can look at them. You can look at the doctors. You can see what their prices are. You can see everything about them and we'll help you make a choice. Let's get micro now, Dutch, because now now I'm the dealer of the card. So let's talk about surgery. You just mentioned that number of surgery centers. 
does do those mm -hmm. surgery centers have a leapfrog type rating that shows infection rates that shows complication well, rates? Well, I wouldn't like. I'm not going to call it a leapfrog rating. I'm going to call it the Dutch Rojas rating. Got I was it. in okay. the business long before leapfrog was around. Um, okay. Look, ASCs have always had quality ratings. Um, the real drive is to try to get physician specific ratings, that, especially physicians that don't do a lot of Medicare work or Medicaid work. Um, but I think. I think that just as a general rule, you can make the jump from my doctor wanted me to go to Banner Health System, right? Not in a, not in a hospital outpatient department, but in an inpatient. And they wanted me to get a knee replacement. And my physician said he's also a partner at Gateway Surgery Center. And that's an independent surgery center. And we can do it for X dollars. And I have no copay, no deductible. I'm happy to do that. Right. And so more people are making that very choice. Okay. So the, the, the over thousand surgery centers that you referenced earlier and the 60 that I started uh, just off. O, just, just, just over 600. Oh, just over 600. Sorry. And the yep. 60 that I mentioned at the top of the show that are more like surgery center of Oklahoma. Do yep. those have, what do they have in common? How are they different? Uh, what they have in common is they've all come to the realization that we've been telling them about for the last 15 years, which is that employers can do direct contracts with them mm -hmm. and that employers can pay them 100% of the claim. Um, now, sometimes they, like if you use uh, an independent TPA that you talk about, right? It takes those guys a while to pay. I don't care what anyone say. It takes them 60, 90, 120 days to pay because they're just traditionally slow. But then you've got direct to employer companies like mine, Surgery Plus, Carum, uh, transparent, uh, zero card now called the zero. I think, um, you, you've got those, those companies out there and all we do is sweep bank accounts, right? So a doctor can put in their note to revenue cycle management and say, Hey, you owe me $3,800 for an inguinal hernia. And that's on a Monday. We get, we, we get the bill on a Monday and by Friday, the doctor gets paid, mm. you know, nice. that changes everything. Haven't most of the surgery center models been built on out-of-network billing, meaning they're going to charge you 2, 5, 10x what you guys would see charges to be? And those models are now basically dead in the water, aren't they? I think that the big surgery centers run by USPI and SCA were all big out-of-network centers. I think there's a big difference, right? There's over 5,000 ASCs and what the general consulting market or the employer market ought to know is if you have a direct contract with them for a bundled rate, right? That's transparent. That's different than this out of network model. The out of network model is dead, as you say, um, but it was made and created by uh, the USPIs, which is now owned by tenant um, and the SCAs, which is now owned by Optum of the yeah. world. Yeah. Well, private equity that was and never, big hospitals. That, yeah. that, that was never the independent doctor that's there to serve patients was never in the out of network game. Now I'm sure, right. If you look at the bell curve, there's some right standard deviations away. There are those people, but that's, I I've been around surgery centers since 97 and that's not the norm. Yes. I'm going to ask a question. As long as you're talking about this, I want to get back to the micro again, because I want to talk about labor and delivery, which is the biggest surgery of all a uh, lot of cesarean in America. So let's talk about, Here's a fear, let's call it a concern, but it's really a fear. There are two companies I've interviewed that have reversed diabetes with large scale 
small scale studies, we'll call it, but they're long term studies, three, five year studies that show you can take somebody down two points with their A1C for type two. You can get them off their insulin in 90% of the time. You can get borderline pre-diabetics back to health again, basically with evidence-based solutions, not with, you know, hooey, like something that rhymes, rhymes with Livongo. I'm not going to say which company, but there, there's a lot of hooey out there. And then there's a lot of reality out there. The, the reality the people that are investing in these venture-backed ideas are the bigs, the very bigs that want to see these ideas die. If we start making diabetes a yawn instead of a number one killer, a number one leader to cardiovascular disease, a number one everything for medication, for surgery, for just it really fuels the machinery of healthcare, that's a big problem for the bigs. So my, mm-hmm. let me restate my concern. My concern is, if your chief investors are the very people who want you to die, what is your exit strategy? <laughs> who are you going to exit to that's going to keep you alive for the next 25 years? Yeah, I see a lot of inherent problems with that. You, you, you see it. There was a TPA on LinkedIn that's, a, you know, it was like a, all the consultants you and I like, right? They were all backing this TPA out of New York, and they recently sold to, or they got venture dollars from, Cigna Ventures and Optum Ventures. Well, where's that go? That's terrible, right? Those guys aren't going to do anything for independent uh, employers. You're, you're seeing a lot of people being backed by the wrong dollars. You're going to have to make a decision. Do I want my life to be about fixing the problem and providing solutions? Or is my life about another car? And that's, you know, that's one of the inherent problems. And I... It's just going to have to be something that the market has to work out. I, I, I don't, right? I, I've, I've chosen to make my life, not that I'm poor in any sense of the word, but I've chosen to make my strategic investments with people who align with our customers, right? And if they don't, then we can't let them in. And so uh, I think those are going to be the people that really win in this, in this, in this new, new, new time. My next question, Dutch, goes back to labor and delivery. It turns out mm-hmm. that cesarean, we're the leader globally in cesareans for labor and delivery, and there's mm-hmm. a couple of reasons. It's a faster process. You can see more members, more patients, but you can also bill more. So cesarean's unfortunate result of our big, big care system that focuses on volume, not quality. But it's also the number one surgery use in America by far. How are labor and delivery rates in surgery versus cash pay? Oh, I think it's, look, I've had two babies born cesarean. Uh, my first one was, um, oh, what do you call it when they're backwards? Right? Yeah, she was upside breach. down. They're breached. Breach. Thank you. They're like, oh, you're a healthcare guy and you don't know that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Right. So she, she was born breached. And so we had a cesarean section. I negotiated my own price. This was in Phoenix. Um, at the number one, what what the market calls the number one labor and delivery. Um, we didn't pay very much. Uh, the cash price was significantly different from what a discount would be to uh, an insurance company. And then the other one, the my son was born in Tulsa and it was even lower. And so um, I think labor and delivery bundles are really powerful. I know I have some free market friends who believe that if you have a labor and delivery bundle 
or a capitated price that encourages people to get pregnant. I think that's absolute silliness, but I did hear it in a free market medical meeting once. And I just thought, well, you are dumb. But nonetheless, um, I, I think that bundles for labor and delivery are a powerful uh, mechanism. And we see them in probably 20% of our clients. Um, like technology companies generally don't, you don't see a lot of labor and delivery. But if you see it as a meaningful part of the spend, then we start doing the bundles. Like we have them in Phoenix, we have them in Dallas, Houston, uh, Charlotte, Raleigh, and a couple other places that I can. What are the bundled of. prices there, cash pay versus the uh, traditional labor and delivery costs that you're seeing? What is the trend? Is it a so general for a for vaginal for everything? So this includes all the sonograms, every all the visits, right? Because as as you get closer to labor and delivery date, it's like you know one visit a week or something like that. Um, we're seeing it right at $7,500 for a vaginal birth. And then that includes the follow-up and a circumcision, et cetera. So the difference between a labor and delivery bundle and a traditional, let's say hip or knee bundle, total joint, is that this uh, labor and delivery bundle covers an episode, mm -hmm. right? From the time you uh, become pregnant until the day after you deliver, right? And you're, you exit the hospital. That's what that labor and delivery bundle is versus, oh, I went into the surgery center. I had my surgery and then I'm out PT separate or whatever else is separate. Yeah. Um, for cesarean sections, uh, $11,800 is pretty standard. Mm -hmm. um, it, what does change the labor and delivery is uh, things like Billy Rubin um, or any kind of NICU visit right? Then they really do, then they really do nick you, you know, for like eight grand a day. Um, but we see that in about 12% of cases. Okay. So I think, you know, $7,500 for all of that or 11 and a half. I mean, that's a significant discount to the normal market. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell a lady when I get to that magic moment, my rabbi sneezed at the most important <laughs> moment of my circumcision. So apologies. <laughs> Apologies, right? I'll throw in, sometimes I get bored of that when I say hiccups, but I don't have enough excuses to actually use that joke, sadly. All right. Well, let's go to the, uh, I want to wrap this up because I've taken more of your time than we need. We promised you, but. Well, good. Cause I got home at three o'clock in the morning last night. And so oh I'm my like, gosh. What in yeah, the world are you doing? Our flight was delayed out of, uh, our flight was, we came from San Francisco, went to Denver and our Denver flight was supposed to leave at eight and it didn't leave till after midnight. Very nice. Yeah. So the last lovely. question I want to ask you, I am thinking yes. Dutch, I want to start a Slack channel for this audience. I think for us to all be able to gather under one tent. And if your employer, it might be one of the tents. It might be a different one for the PCPs who are looking for the right companies to work for in this space. It might be a different one for folks like you who are out there that are contracting these great ideas to the jumbos and the smalls. But it's also, I think you're talking about consumers that want to have a better solution. So we need to start talking on a Slack channel and I'm going to set that up. I've got a really good guy to help me get that going. Don't you Great. think that's not a bad idea? I think it's a one, the more communication, the better. Yeah. The more ideas, the more conversations, the better. Yes. And the more case studies. That's right. And they're becoming more prevalent. 10 yeah. years ago, they were not prevalent. Today, if you don't have a case study, that's a problem. I would imagine if you're a CFO and you're a good, aggressive 
young guy or gal and you want to make a difference for the healthcare spend, that the lack of case studies would be a problem. But you're saying that there are plenty mm -hmm. of them out there, and I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty. Yeah. Okay. Well, gosh, we didn't even get to talk. Well, we got to do this. We got to talk about, tell me what's going on with shop healthcare. Oh, this is the most exciting thing ever. Uh, our consumer website um, is coming out. Now, there's two others, right? There's Sesame, which you've probably talked to David Goldhill. Great guy. And then uh, Mish. And I forget the guy's name, but he's super fantastic. Young guy. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Those two guys have really started the consumer side of the business direct to patient, as I like to call it, D2P. Um, it's long been on my heart to serve the um, cash pay patients. We think um, from, a, from a total addressable market, there's somewhere near 40 million uh, Americans who will use the site. And so what we want to do is twofold. One is we want to give them actual prices, right? Where they can click buy this lab here for $6.22 versus, you know, $100 with their insurance. Or we want to service as, hey, you know what? Um, So-and-so told me the price was going to be X. Why don't I use Shop Healthcare to look it up? So we're taking all of our claims data, right? We have a little over a billion claims from the last six years. And we've uploaded those into bundles. And so you can say, hey, I'm in 8515A, Phoenix. And all of a sudden, you can see that a knee arthroscopy, right, has a price of X. And you can see the 20 locations where we offer those. And you can see how far they are away. And you can buy one if you want, but you can also just use it as a reference tool. So I'm really excited about that. I think that's going to give employers a significant insight to what's going on and how much they're paying, right? Because some a consultant is going to say, oh, you can't save any money doing that. And then they're going to go, okay, well, give me, give me the top, you know, 25 CPT codes, right? And then they're going to look them up and they're going to use our site for a reference or other sites for references. And I think it's going to be great. You have a ton of health share people. Uh, I think it's endless and really it's the heart of what all of us want to do, which is give transparent prices that are actionable. If you can deliver that to the world, I think we can take over the world. Like, there you go. why can't I service customers that live in my home country of the Netherlands? Why can't I service people in uh, different countries? Well, sure we can, right? Those doctors all want to be part of the free market health system. So let's let them. All right. Well, to summarize folks, if y'all want to know the whole like in a sentence, what we've just been talking about, if you had to tune out and go to the bathroom, basically the consumer and the CFOs of employers are Will Smith and Chris Rock is the healthcare system. <laughs> That's a really nice way to tidy that up. Mm -hmm. That I think ties, yes. just kind of battens it all, hatches down and makes everybody clear what we talked about today. Everybody right. understands. Well, thank you for your time, Ron. Really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you, Dutch. And if people want to reach you, how do they find you? Uh, they can just find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm like, I'm there all the time, all you day long. It, Thank you. All right. Be good. Thank Excellent. you. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review.
It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.